I am Morgan Smith, and I'm on staff at the church. This Advent, we are looking at the gifts of Advent. We've looked at the gift of hope, the gift of peace, and this morning, we will look at the gift of joy. And so I want you to think about this question as we, as we start out. What is your least favorite Christmas gift you've ever received? Think about that. Maybe, maybe it's, it was a one-time gift that you got, or maybe it's something that you kind of continually receive every year. Growing up, there was a gift that I got, and I got it a bunch, and I just couldn't you know, I, I know we're supposed to be thankful for every gift we receive, but this one gift, I just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't doing anything for me. And so that gift was socks. So I, I got for birthdays or, or Christmas, a bunch of years, I got socks. And, you know, it, you know, okay, on one sense, like, right, I get it, I get it, we need to, we need to wear socks. But then on, on another sense, I'm like, oh, this isn't doing it for me. And then this past year, I got a gift. Actually, it was the same gift. <laughs> but it was awesome. These socks have waffles all over them. They got waffles all over them. It's the same gift, but, but these are awesome. Right? It's the same gift, but, but these socks, they, they did something. I was like super excited. I was, oh, these are great. Is the same gift, but it, but it did something deeper to me. It gave me joy. And I wonder if this Advent could be, could, be, could be something of that for us. You know, every year in the church, right, we look at the themes of hope, peace, joy, love in one way or another. We light the candles every year. And I wonder if it, for us, has become something like the socks where we're so familiar with it, but it's not really doing anything to us. You know, how can we be hopeful when the market's in a slump? How can we be peaceful with year-end deadlines, joyful when our family seems like a mess, loving when it seems like no one else is? How, if our lives, we, we, we talk about these things every year, but when I look at my life, our lives, maybe they're not marked by hope, peace, joy, and love in the way that they could be or maybe should be. And so I'm wondering if this year could be like the Ego Socks, where, where it does something to us, even if we've heard these themes, the gift of these, yeah, okay, I get it, Jesus brings these things, but what if this year we experience the gifts that Jesus gives to us in his advent in a deeper way. Let me pray for us. Lord, 
pray mostly that you would be glorified this morning. And Lord, may we experience deeper, in a deeper way, this gift of joy that you offer to us. Lord, if I speak in any way that is outside of you, I pray that it would be quickly forgotten. But Lord, if it is from you, I pray that your words would sink deep into our mind, into our hearts, into our lives. In your name, amen. So this morning, we're going to look at how Christ is joy delivered, how Christ is the joy giver, and how Christ is our joy permeator. So first, Christ is joy delivered. If you have a copy of God's word, uh, you can open up to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start out in Matthew 2, and then we'll kind of go into other places of Scripture from there. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. All right, so who were these magi from the east? When Nebuchadnezzar was reigning in Babylon, this was more than 500 years before, about 600 years prior um, to the birth of Jesus, Nebuchadnezzar took, um, conquered Jerusalem and exiled a large por portion of Judah um, into Babylon. And so the people of God were in exile for 70 years. So after 70 years of being in exile, the Persians, led by Cyrus the Great, conquered the Babylonians and allowed God's people to return to the, their land. And so the people of God, but 70 years is how far they were or how long they were in exile. 70 years is a long time. Most of the people of God had known nothing except Babylon. And so when the people of God were allowed to go back to their homeland, 42,000 of them went back, but a lot of them stayed. That was what they knew. That was their home. Babylon was. And so there were Jewish communities that were all around where Babylon was or the surrounding regions. And so the Magi from those people, the Magi from the East had been exposed to Judaism from these groups of Jewish communities that had remained behind hundreds of years prior. Um, so it's estimated that the Magi traveled 900 miles to see Jesus. Um, so Jesus would have been nine months to about two years old um, when the Magi arrived. The shepherds arrived the night of Jesus' birth, but the Magi came in those first couple of years of Jesus' life. All right, Matthew 3, Matthew 2, 3 through 6. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. 
in Bethlehem and Judea? They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd, who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. So it says that a ruler, one of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. What do you think King Herod thought about this prophecy that suggests that a ruler will come? Right? He, he's going to, that's going to pique his interest. That's going to cause him concern. A ruler is a threat to King Herod, or so the kind of ruler that he thought might come. But it says, this ruler will shepherd my people, Israel. This ruler, who is Christ, will shepherd his people. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and of myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So the Magi, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. They went, they saw the baby, the Messiah, the one who was prophesied about, Jesus. The Magi came and they, they worshiped Jesus. And, and as a part of their worship, right, they gave gifts, gold, incense, of myrrh. Everyone knew that a Messiah, everyone knew that a Messiah was coming. And now the Messiah was there. Now the Messiah had come. Christ is joy delivered at his very presence. Christ, at the very presence of him, they were overjoyed. Everyone knew a Messiah was coming, and now that the Messiah had come, there was joy. There was joy all around. And in response to the joy that they experienced, what does it say? They worshiped him. And then a part of their worship was their giving of gifts to Jesus. So Jesus is joy delivered, and their response was worship. So a couple questions as we, as we think about this. Do we experience joy being in his very presence? His very presence caused the Magi to be overjoyed. Do we experience joy being in his very presence, in the very presence of the one who is joy delivered, who is joy incarnated? Do we experience that joy being in his very presence? Second question, as a result of that joy, does it overflow in worship? Joy and worship are linked 
in the Magi's response. The third question, does our worship include giving our gifts to Jesus? Like in the Magi. And that's not just monetarily, but time, effort, affections. Does Jesus get that from us? So Jesus is joy delivered. So we worship him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for what that he went to the cross? Joy. It was for joy that Christ went to the cross. A lot of times we focus on the agony of the cross, and rightly so. And the agony of the cross for Jesus, and then the joy of the cross for us, in that, oh, we're saved now as a result of what Christ has done. But what does it say? It was for, for joy that he went to the cross. It was for Christ's joy. Do we think about the cross in that way, that Christ went to the cross with joy? Why? because the result of the cross was your salvation. So Christ went to the cross with joy because he knew what the result would be, was us being united with God. It was for joy that Christ went to the cross. He's not only joy delivered, but he's also the joy giver. He is a giving Messiah. He is a giving Savior. Matthew 2, 6 says that a ruler will come and will shepherd my people Israel, right? This is a prophecy from Micah chapter 5, 2 through 5. And it says this, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come to me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who's in labor gives birth. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. He is of old. He is eternal. This one who will shepherd his people. Yet he came to be born. He came to save his people. He came to shepherd his people, to lead his people. He's joy delivered and worthy of our worship, but he's also, he is also the joy giver. And so we must be led by him. Ezekiel chapter 34 um, is a passage that talks about how God himself will shepherd his people. Uh, and, the, and the Ezekiel 34 talks about, at the beginning of the chapter, the absolute failure of Israel's leaders to lead the people of God effectively. 
talks about the absolute failure. And in response to the absolute failure of the leaders in Israel, this is what it says in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places where they're scattered, the day of clouds and darkness. I'll bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I'll bring them into their own land. I'll pasture them on the mountains of Israel, the ravines and the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture. The mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself, will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I'll search for the lost, bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured, strengthen the weak, but sleek and the strong I'll destroy. I'll shepherd the flock with justice. God himself says, I will do this. And what, what are the results of this shepherding from God? He will search and look after. He will rescue his sheep. He will gather them in. He will bring them in. He will pasture them. He will bind the hurting. This is the result of his shepherding. God himself will do this shepherding. So we see that God himself will do this shepherding. He, in the Micah passage, he is from of old, from ancient days, yet he will shepherd. God himself will do this shepherding. In Psalm 23, verse 1 through Three, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. So what do we see? This shepherding will be restorative. He restores my soul. The shepherding will be from God. God himself will do it, and it will be restorative. And Jesus comes, and Jesus says, I am that shepherd. I am the shepherd who is from of old, who has now been born to save his people. I am the shepherd who is God himself coming to save you. I am the shepherd who will bring restorative Shepherding will bring restoration to his people. Jesus says in John 10, verses 10 and 11, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Continuing on in verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know my Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Continuing on, verse 27 to 30, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. God himself came to shepherd his people. And Jesus says, 
me. That is me. I will shepherd my people. <laughs> so that how, what does he say? That you may have life to the fullest. To the fullest. To the fullest. Jesus is the joy giver, so we need to be led by him as he shepherds his people. But Jesus is lastly our joy permeator. So I have been on my, living on my own for more or less eight years. Um, and Rachel, my fiance, has as well. And so it was worth thinking about getting married in March and thinking about combining our stuff. In the last month, we've been having different conversations. And one of the things I can say is, well, Rachel is a fully functioning adult. Um, Donnie might strongly disagree, but uh, maybe I am. But needless to say, we have a lot of stuff. You know, you know, like when you get married and you come up with a registry, like items that, that you want to get and people will buy them for you. It's, I was thinking like, can we get a registry to get rid of stuff? Like people sign up to, to take eight extra pots and pans off our hands, you know, different things like that. It's like, can we get rid of stuff? Because one of the things that, that we're beginning to realize is, oh, once we get married, we're both living in the same apartment, same one-bedroom apartment. We might have zero floor space that we can see. Zero. And, and, and what, why do I say this? Well, what we're realizing is, oh, we need to make room. We need to make room for life to be able to happen because it's hard to cook in the kitchen when you have eight boxes stacked on top of one another. We need to make room for life to be able to happen. And I wonder in our lives, in our hearts, do we have any room for Jesus to be able to permeate? Oftentimes we are so busy and we're so preoccupied do we have any room for Jesus to be able to permeate with his joy? Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of of hope fill you with how much joy? A little bit of joy? All joy. But oftentimes we think, oh, if I just have a little bit of hope, a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy, maybe a little bit of love, then I can get through the day. But what, what does Christ say? No, no. All hope. May you be filled by God, by the God of hope with all joy. All joy. Do we have any room for Christ to permeate? First Chronicles 29, 19 says this. David is, is, is saying this. Um, he's giving a prayer to Solomon, uh, his son, as David is about to die. And he says, give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, decrees, to do everything 
to, hold, to build palatial structure for which I have provided. And Eugene Peterson in the, says it this way, give my son Solomon an uncluttered and focused heart. Just like our apartment will inevitably be once we get married, right? It's cluttered. And oftentimes our heart can be that way too, where we're cluttered. And give my son Solomon an uncluttered and a focused heart. I would say an uncluttered heart is a heart that Christ can pervade. Christ can enter into the coldest of hearts, but, but a heart that is open, a heart that's uncluttered, he can pervade and permeate with his presence, filling us with joy. The question is, do we have any room for him to pervade? Especially this time of year, it's easy to be preoccupied, busy. And, and when, we, when we are busy, some of us realize, yeah, like, I'm not doing well, I'm busy. Some of us recognize that, and others of us maybe thrive in that. Like, oh, I'm crushing it when I'm busy. But one of the questions that I think we should ask, wherever we're at in that, is how pervasive is the joy of Christ in my heart, in my life? How pervasive is the joy of Christ? Do you have any room for him to allow, to, to come in with his joy? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Do you have any room for Christ to pervade with his joy in your heart. Christ desires to permeate all of your heart with his joy. Is there room enough for him? And as I close, I just wanna leave you with this illustration. Anyone know how to make a fire? Yeah? So there are a couple different ways you can make a fire, maybe rightly or wrongly, but one of the ways that is a terrible approach is just to stack all the wood together, right? Just one on top of the next, one on top of the next. And why is it terrible? Well, it's gonna suffocate the fire. The fire can't, because there's no air, there's no space, the oxygen can't get in and bring life to the fire. And that's how Donnie makes a fire, and it's just crazy. <laughs> I, I don't have any actual evidence of that, but assumptions can be made, right? But how, do you, how should you actually make a fire? Well, you create space between the logs, right? Create space so that the oxygen can get in and bring life to the fire. So should our hearts be like that proper way to make a fire where we have space in our hearts so that the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ can pervade our hearts with joy. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who desires to fill us, fill us with all of you. So Lord, I do pray that you would fill us. Fill us with hope, Lord. Fill us with peace, Lord. Fill us with joy. And Lord, fill us with love. We pray all these things 
in the name of our shepherd, the Christ. Amen.